0: Well, welcome. We're so glad you're here at Summit. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the 90-day the challenge or the, the last month we've been doing Everybody Always. It's a great little booklet. Most of you have it. If you haven't done any of those uh, exercises yet, you can actually see them online still. I would highly encourage you to do it. It's kind of fun. I, I don't know if you realize this, but God hasn't called us to love others just for the month of May. It, it extends beyond this, all right? So uh, look at those, go back and, and just practice some of the uh, the natural and some of the, the practical ways to love people. Well, yes, Pastor Chris is not here. You can kind of tell, right? You normally see him. Uh, some of you don't know who Pastor Chris is. Uh, he has much more hair than me. Um, and uh, I'm not sure who's better looking. You guys can decide that on your own. But he and Lisa are taking just a quick little trip away. Uh, Pastor Chris has been working, he hasn't had a day off in weeks, literally. And so he wisely, he used to preach on this, right? Uh, we're supposed to take time away and replenish ourselves, so they're doing that. They're going to be coming back next week. He's going to be starting a new message series called Move. He's going to have some news for you about uh, what he's been working on with the new building, so don't miss that. Uh, I don't know where it's at. I honestly don't know where it's at, so I have people asking me, give me a hint, give me a hint, you know, uh, of where we're at as far as the decision. So just stay tuned, but uh, next week he will be sharing that with all of you. Well, uh, we've been in a series called In the Gray for the last four weeks. Pastor Chris has been speaking about some of those areas that are a little gray in our lives. We may think it's black and white, but when we get down to it, sometimes things are a little more complicated. Uh, they take a little more thought than we realized. And this week we're gonna be talking about maturity. The title of the message today is Let's Be Mature About It. You ever had anybody say that to you? It kind of is along the lines of Don't Get Angry or calm down. That naturally makes you feel calm, doesn't it? Oh, I was stressed, but you telling me to be calm has suddenly made me feel this peace, this zen, right? <clears throat> Maturity is like that. When you say to somebody, let's be mature about it, chances are you're going to get the opposite. What do you hope for? But the reality is we all need to grow more mature. It's natural. We may not think about it a lot, but there's some sort of an expectation that we're growing, no matter how old we are. Last summer I went on a trip with our entire family to see my son in St. Louis. He's uh, married to this wonderful lady called Stacy and her family was going to be there and so we were having a a family reunion and a family union. So we were getting to know our, our other side of the family for the first time. So we're on a plane trip and a lot of us from the Sacramento area are flying on this plane and there was this child in the seat in front of me screaming his head off. I could, uh, I could see people plugging their ears, I looked around, and I could tell he was crying this loud because I took off my noise-canceling headphones, listened for a second, and put them right back on. Well, that baby was my grandson, and my poor daughter was in front suffering as I listened to beautiful music on my noise-canceling headphones. Well, he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy being constrained. He wasn't happy sitting in his seat. And that's kind of to be expected. I've flown enough. I know that's what happens. Now, if Phoenix grows up and he's 17 years old and we're going on a trip and he sits down and he starts screaming because he doesn't get the, the window seat or he doesn't get the snack he wants we would say there's something wrong with this picture right he might get escorted off the plane but there's something that makes sense with a baby that's immature that doesn't make sense with an adult that's immature so we want to talk about maturity today now uh, in first or excuse me second peter 3:18 Peter talks about growth. He talks about growing and really that's what maturity is. It's, it's growing to fulfill your potential. It's growing to where you should be. If a plant matures, it gets to its highest peak. If you have a, a money fund you've invested in, a maturity is when it reaches the most amount of money you can get from that fund. So let's read 2 Peter 3:18 this morning. It says, "Grow in grace and understanding of our Master and Savior Jesus Christ." Glory to the master now and forever. Yes, the reason it says glory to the master is what we're going to be finding out and talking about this morning. There's a reason. And we might think when it says grow in grace and understanding that we're supposed to get more gracious or more grace. We need more grace in our lives or we need more understanding. This word understanding really has to do with relationship. It's when you're in a relationship with somebody, you really know them. So what Peter is saying here is not we need more grace, we need more understanding. He says, we have grace and understanding, we just need to grow. The grace and the understanding he's talking about is like the soil you would plant a seed in for that seed to grow. Now I recently planted a garden, I, I put a raised bed in my backyard, and I have this light brown clay-like dirt, you probably have that in Lincoln here too, but it's grass barely grows in it. So I was not going to put that in my garden. I went and I spent a ridiculous amount of money on this beautiful garden mixed soil and I put it in there and all of my vegetables are just growing huge. I have these radishes. They are this high. The the, the stock is this high. Now, I think I did something wrong because it's all stock. The, The little bulb at the bottom is teeny weeny. But anyway, the point is, you get it. You have to have good soil to grow something in. That's what he's talking about. The grace and the understanding is the soil that we grow in. So let's look at three things this morning. Go ahead and pull out your notes if you haven't already. Three things we really need in order to grow the way God wants us to. First, to grow the way God wants me to, I need to see my need for it. I need to see my need for it. Now that might sound like a duh, But I think we all suffer from the same thing, right? We are rugged individualists. We're Americans. We don't need help. I don't need help getting someplace. I know where to go. I get in my car. It, it's north, I'm going to head that direction, I'll get there eventually, right? Uh, we don't need directions. Teresa gets so frustrated with me, because sometimes we'll go to some place we've never been before, and I'll pull out, and I'll start heading that direction, knowing that she's going to start looking up the direction. She goes, why don't you just plug it in the GPS before you take off? And it's because I know it's north, and I'm saving us valuable time, and she doesn't appreciate that. But... We also don't need help when it comes to like, putting things together, the instructions. Those are sometimes, maybe sometimes we might go to, if we buy something from Ikea, right? We might need some instructions with a little man with a big nose and the Allen wrench. Uh, or what about if we need help with, um, help with lifting? Well, that's a big one. Uh, when I was younger, I would lift things all the time. I don't need help, I got this. I lifted a refrigerator one time and I ended up on my back. And to this day, I still remember I should have gotten help when I was lifting. So, we need help. There's this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's two guys, two scientists discovered this. The Dunning-Kruger effect says this, that we tend to have a higher opinion of ourselves. We, we tend to think we're more competent than we are. And it plays out this way in business. If you're in business they did studies of managers in business and 85% of managers that were surveyed said they were in the top tier of skilled management. Now think about that. Of all the managers there are, 85% of them think they're in the very top tier. And chances are that top 15% thought, well, I'm probably average, right? Most people think they're better than they are. It turns out that ignorance is a great confidence builder. And... And I don't think we realize sometimes how that plays out in our lives spiritually. We think we know what we need to know spiritually. Uh, I've talked to people in coffee shops. I've talked to people in lines sometimes. And when you ask somebody about God, they will tell their opinion about God. Oh, God's like this. God's like, like that. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. And they don't believe that they need any help in understanding. God wants us to understand if we want to grow spiritually, we have to start with the understanding that we don't know what we need to know. We need his help. It says this in Matthew. Matthew uh, was a tax collector. We're going to read about it right here. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now I know a lot of us don't appreciate the IRS. You know, we're a little frustrated when we have to pay taxes. Taxes in those days were much different. Pastor Chris talked about this a little while back where uh, we know that tax collectors were uh, the social outcasts, but there was a good reason. They were jerks. (laughs) They had a booth and outside the booth there were often Roman soldiers. And when their brothers and sisters would walk along, they would extract taxes from them. So as they were on their way to do business, they might have some money, and the tax collector would say, um, you, you owe some taxes. How much do you have? Well, I only have $550 in my account. You owe $500. And they would take $250, $300, they would give it to Rome, and they would keep the rest for themselves. Of course people were frustrated. If you had a guy sitting at the exit of your cul-de-sac or the exit of your neighborhood and you could not go to work until you gave him a check, you would be pretty frustrated. You would also know who he was. You would not want to hang out with him on the weekends, right? This is Matthew. And Matthew knows what people think about him. Matthew knows that he's been ripping people off. He knows that he is broken. He is a mess. He's a bad guy. And he realizes, I need Jesus' help. This crazy thing about Jesus is he didn't go looking for the talented. He didn't go looking for the educated. He went for looking for the people that knew they needed help. And if we're going to grow spiritually, we have to start there. Jesus talks about the kind of mindset that we need in order to grow. In Matthew chapter 19, says this, excuse me, 18, two to four. It says, Jesus called the little child to him and put the child among them. So he brought a kid in front of everyone. He said this, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what's significant about children? They're humble, right? You may not think that, but Jesus is saying children are humble. Now, when you think about childlike faith, you might think, well, they're very trusting, and that's true. But there's something about children that Jesus understands that we sometimes lose as we grow up. Children never stop understanding their role. They know they're not in charge. Kids know that they can't run things. They may try to run things at your house, but uh, they don't try to do things that are outside, way outside of their ability. Now, my grandson, Phoenix, he can't say his name yet. He calls himself Finky. Finky. So, um, Finky has a very limited set of things he can do. He's only two. But when he can do something, he will tell you, Finky-do, Finky-do, right? He he wants to do something because he knows I have the ability to do that. But... There's things that he doesn't ask to do. He doesn't say, Mom, I'll go shopping. You know, I want to get some things I like. Or, Mom, don't worry about it. You get in the back seat, I'll drive today. There's things that Phoenix understands he needs because he's dependent He understands that there's an authority over him, and he can't make it without that authority. Jesus is saying, you have to understand your need. Unless you become like a child and humble yourself and say, I don't have it all together. I don't have everything I need to go through this life successfully. I don't know what's going on in the spiritual world unless somebody tells me what's going on. That's the kind of mindset we need if we're going to grow. Growth is kind of an interesting thing. It kind of goes up and down. When you see kids growing, they go through little growth spurts. Uh, Often we don't notice growth in people. I remember as my kids, I have five biological kids and one would be born and I would see the the child grow up and they always seemed really tiny until the next baby came along. All of a sudden you go, dang, man, you're huge. You You hold this little teeny tiny baby in your arms. Growth is like that. Sometimes it's, it's almost imperceivable that we're growing. But when we grow, it kind of has peaks and valleys. We need to understand that growth takes time. It takes time to mature. And we're we're experiencing those peaks and ba- valleys, it can be frustrating because we want to be here, but it seems like we keep running into the same problems down here and it frustrates us. <clears throat> and sometimes... Life becomes so frustrating. Things happen in our lives that we can't control. And it can devastate us. It can rock us to the core. It can rock our faith. The second thing we need to know if we want to grow the way God wants us to grow is we need to come back after a setback. We need to come back after a setback. I think... I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me, but when I first became a Christian, I was struggling. I kind of came to Christ like Matthew, the tax collector. I, I knew I didn't have a game. I knew the direction I was going in my life was not gonna be fulfilling, was not gonna, I, I didn't understand my purpose here on earth. I, I felt so different and so new. But I'll never forget when I started to have difficulties. I'm like, God, why is this happening? You know, why is this sickness happening? Why is this struggle at work happening? Why is this difficulty in a relationship happening? I just remember struggling, like, what's, things are supposed to be better than this. But the reality is that's how we grow. We grow through resistance. We grow through experiencing difficult things in our lives. But sometimes if we're not careful, those difficult things can take us down. This was true of Peter. I'm going to read a verse here in a minute. It's one of my favorite stories. It's just so, so powerful. So Peter, most of us understand, Peter was good friends with Jesus. You might say he was Jesus' bestie. Like there was no one closer to Jesus in that inner circle. There was the 12 disciples. Then There was, there was the three, Peter, James, and John. But Peter was Jesus' guy. Like Peter was so committed to him. He had left everything. He was following Jesus. He, he went where Jesus went. He was learning from him. And, and he wanted Jesus to understand, you can depend on me. I'm with you to the end, no matter what happens. And so uh, this story, as it's unfolding, they're they're, they're having the Last Supper. They're they're spending time with Jesus the night before he's about to go to the cross, and they don't fully appreciate what's going on. And so Peter has a certain expectation in his mind about what's gonna be happening. But Jesus is explaining to him something, you know, Peter, you better brace yourself because things aren't gonna go exactly the way you think. And we take this up, in uh, Luke chapter 22. Uh, Simon, which is Peter's given name, uh, he was renamed Peter by Jesus himself. So Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Kind of an interesting concept. Back in the day when they would pick grain, wheat, they would uh, take it and they would hit it and throw it up in the air, and then the chaff, the inedible, gross part of the outside of the wheat kernel would fly off, and then they would be left with the wheat kernel itself. And what he is saying here is, Satan wants to remove your faith from you. Uh, I was talking to a, uh, a friend of mine in Southern California, he was a Navy SEAL, and he was telling me about BUDS training. They have something uh, they call, during that training, called Hell Week, I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it's, it's pretty hard. <laughs> it's pretty difficult, Hell Week is. Uh, they, they do things that are, it seems impossible, physically impossible. They swim five miles in the ocean. They hold a log while the waves are crashing in, into their back. They go on these long runs. Um, it, the washout rate of people who want to get into the Navy SEALs program uh, in, during this week is almost 50%, almost half the people. And these are already the elite. These are tough people going through this. And an instructor one time was sharing about the training and why they make it so hard. And the instructor said, we could actually make it impossible. We could get 100% of the people to, to fail. But we don't want to do that. We just want the people to fail who have lost faith in their ability to succeed. So that's what Satan is trying to do here. He's trying to remove Peter's faith from him. Or Let's go ahead and continue on. Sorry about that. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. So Jesus is praying for Peter. Simon, I pray for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. So powerful. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, you have no idea what's coming up. It's going to be hard and you're going to fail me. You are. You're going to run away. And it happens just the way Jesus said. Peter ran off. He wasn't there when Jesus was crucified. He wasn't there with the other disciples. He went off fishing. We read later uh, in Luke that Jesus, after his resurrection, came to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, do you love me? And Peter finally reengaged, and he came back just the way Jesus said. Here's the reality, folks. You think you're in this alone? Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is with you. Jesus sees the difficulty you're going through. He doesn't take it lightly. He wants you to know that it doesn't matter. Even though you've walked away, even though you've failed, He's got a future ministry for you. You will return. You are not abandoned. You are not alone. I was talking to a lady at a coffee shop this week. I was I go there sometimes. It's easier for me to concentrate when I'm doing a message, and I I happened to be talking to them. I heard them talking about scripture. And so I said, hey, it sounds like you guys are studying the Bible, and I'm a pastor. Just keep it up. And I was trying to encourage them. She goes, could you pray for us? And so I prayed for them. After we prayed, she began sharing with me a huge failure in her life. And she was, you could tell she was questioning whether or not she could be used by God. I had just been studying this. I, I said, hey, read Luke chapter 31-32. So she pulled her Bible open. She started reading it. She got halfway through, and tears just started running down her face. I said, Jesus is praying for you. You are not your failure. You are not your weakness. You have a God that sees your future. You have a ministry. Don't give up. Come back from your setbacks. We have got to do that. Finally, to grow the way God wants us to grow. We need to be in a relationship with the one who can truly help us grow. You know, it's one thing to know that we need to grow. It's another thing to be able to come back. But we have to understand what this is really all about. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis has a great book. You haven't read it. You ought to. It's called Mere Christianity. It's a classic. But in that book, he talks about Christian maturity. And he says a lot of times we get it mixed up because we look at somebody on the outside and we say, oh, they're an immature person. We might look at somebody else and think they're super mature. He gives the example of an alcoholic. There's this alcoholic and, you know, he might be smoking, but he's overrun, overcome alcohol. But we look at this scholar who's gone through Bible college, and this scholar's proud. And this, this alcoholic is, is, has overcome something huge in his life by getting over alcohol. We may say, oh, this guy's much more mature. But in God's eyes, maybe this alcoholic overcame something way more difficult, past troubles that he experienced in childhood. We have no idea what Christian maturity truly is. We know what God's doing inside of us, but we don't always know how mature we truly are. I think it's important for us to understand that we're not in this alone, as I said before, but it goes beyond that. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this, we are God's masterpiece. We, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We're his masterpiece. Think about that for a minute. We think we're in this alone. We think we have all this to do. Sometimes we know God's there, but we not, may not realize just how invested he is. And masterpieces take time. Masterpieces aren't quick. I mean, God doesn't do like throw paint at a canvas in five seconds and he has a masterpiece. No, he carefully crafts his masterpiece. I was reading about Michelangelo this week. He painted the Sistine Chapel. You guys are probably all aware of that. It's one of the greatest artworks in history. And uh, as he was planning this, he thought about the, the storyline he was going to paint. He thought about the figures he was going to paint and the background, everything that he had to do, the colors. He had to think about the structure, the scaffolding he would put up. They were going to hold services while he was painting. And for the next four and a half years, he painted that thing. He, they said that there was times he had to go straight up, look straight up and paint and Because of the the different positions he had to put himself in, he actually had permanent eyesight damage. He poured his blood, sweat, and tears, his life into this masterpiece. And there isn't anybody who is more invested in your success than God. You are his masterpiece. He doesn't want you where you are. He wants to take you to where he's designed you to be. He's got so much more in store for us than we can even imagine. And sometimes we just don't get it, but we need to understand he's invested in us. He cares about what's going to happen to us. We have a new identity. Our identity isn't a role we play. We're not just a dad. We're not just a business person. We're not just a mom. We're not just a friend. Sometimes I think we may, not, we may say, well, that's not my identity. But if we're a business person, we're making all kinds of sacrifices. We sacrifice our family. We sacrifice all kinds of time. We even sacrifice maybe our own morals. We may not realize it, but that's our identity. Or if we're, our identity is in being a mom. And, and how our kid turns out, we, everything rises and falls on that. And if our child doesn't turn out right, we feel like a failure. If our, t- our child turns out great, all of a sudden we're very proud. Our identity isn't in the roles we play. We are children of the Most High God. God gives us an opportunity to come into his family through faith. And when we exercise that faith, we're children of the Most High, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's nothing better than to be in that family. You know, it's interesting. Paul in the book of Romans says that we're adopted into the family. We're adopted so that we can cry, Abba, Father, like Daddy. We have a very familiar relationship. And it's interesting he was writing adoption to the Romans because here's the Romans' perspective on adoption. If you were born into a Roman family, a natural-born child, you could be uh, disowned. Your mom and dad could disown you. Teenagers, be careful, no. right? Your mom and dad, if something they didn't like about you, they could disown you because they kind of considered a baby being born. They didn't really choose the baby. The baby just happened somehow, miraculously, right? But if you were adopted, you were called a chosen child. And legally, you could not disown an adopted child. Think about that. That's the language God's using for you. You are adopted. Your place is secure. There's nothing that, you can, that can separate you from him. Here's Paul's mindset on the way he used to live, maturity-wise, and the way he lives now. Let's finish with this scripture. Galatians two nineteen to 21 says this. What actually took place is this. He's talking about his history. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. Everything he wanted to be, he couldn't do on his own but Christ enabled to. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. My way, what I want to do, what I think's best, that's not central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see in me living is not mine. But it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Part of our understanding of of maturity is wrong if we think keeping a set of rules is right. What causes us to be mature, what causes us to live differently, is to begin to reflect on who God actually is. I just jotted a few things that came to my mind. Number one, He knows me completely. He knows everything about me. He provides what I need. He gives me rest when I'm tired. He provides direction when I'm uncertain. He inspires confidence when I feel fearful. He lifts me up when I feel shame. He opens the door so I can find a way of escape. He heals me when I'm hurt. He finds me when I'm lost. He gives me peace that makes no worldly sense. He enlightens me with truth in a world of deception. He gives me joy that's unexplainable. He imparts his strength when I'm feeling weak. He loves me and it never fails me. His promises are of abundant life, both now and forevermore. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is worshiped by angels who are in awe of him. We sang about that. And he can overcome any obstacle I ever face. And he came to earth. He came to earth as a baby. He lived a perfect life. He identified with us. He went to the cross and he bore our sin and our shame, so we didn't have to anymore. He offers a relationship with him, and it's in relationship that we grow. There's no other way. The more, you know, we, we, it, if you forget to pray, if you forget to read your Bible, it's not a big deal. God's not mad. He's not ready to throw a lightning bolt at you. If you miss a church service, it's not the end of the world. Pastor Chris may disagree, but but you miss out, right? When I don't pray, I miss out. God's not up there, oh, what am I gonna do now? I miss out. I miss out on growth. I miss out on the communion. I miss out on uh, experiencing the love that he has for me. We grow when we're in relationship with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I can't imagine what life would be like trying to strive on my own. And I know there's people in, the, in this room right now that maybe are striving, maybe in the middle of a trial, a difficulty, and like Peter, they never thought they would fail. But they just feel like a failure right now. I just pray they would know that they have a God that loves them, that has never forsaken them, that has A plan for their future, a good plan, that knows their weaknesses and knows their strengths, that knows what they're ashamed of, and that wants to remove all that and let them experience peace and let them experience joy of being in relationship with the God that created them, God that created them for purpose and to experience the kind of joy that they were designed for. And so I just pray this morning as we leave today that we wouldn't be tempted to judge other people, other masterpieces, Lord, that you're working on. That just says something about you if we criticize others. Help us to focus on our lives and our relationship with you, that we might grow in grace and understanding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I just pray if there's someone here this morning that does not yet know you, that they might take this moment. They're just feeling a tug in their heart. They might just take this moment to pray and let you into their life. Let's pray together as if we're all doing this for the first time. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you for offering this wonderful relationship. Help me to live my life with you. Help me remember you in my trials. And help me to give you credit in my triumphs. Just be with me the rest of my life. And if you prayed that prayer and this is the first time you prayed it and you meant it, then you are adopted into the kingdom of God right now. Yes, come on, we can pray. I want to pray for for everybody else, and then we'll close. Father God, we thank you that we can come to your word. We can be encouraged by it. And we thank you, Lord, that you're not done with any of us. That wherever we are in our growth, if we've just gone through a failure, or if we're just flying high, wherever it is, we, we thank you, Lord. And we just pray you continue to use us. Help us to do those good things that you prepared in advance for us to do.